Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Reaching the Summit podcast, a Halloween edition of the Reaching the Summit podcast, which will have nothing special Halloween related other than me saying it's Halloween today. Um, So I'm Todd Buckingham. You can find me on Twitter at Reach Summit Pod, and I'm joined today by Zachary Dosh. You can find me on Twitter at Zachary Dosh. I'm Greg Steeman, and I'm on Twitter at the extremely original name of at Greg Steeman. The... uh, so I wanted to, we have most of the bulk of the episode today will be our discussion with North Dakota head coach, Paul Sather, but a couple of topics that have come up, not even really summer league related that I wanted to hit on. And then we'll go to the interview with coach Sather. And then we'll maybe talk about some players we're excited to watch, try to hit on some players that we haven't talked about yet this season. Cause we are only what nine days away from basketball, something like that. Um, and so the, the first topic I wanted to talk about was conference realignment. You've got Conference USA seeming to almost fall apart in front of us as people are going to the Sun Belt and all over the place. Uh, and then we've got the Ohio Valley that lost Belmont over to the Missouri Valley. Um, is this anything new? We've seen this before. Some of the pundits will say this is the death of college and fo- basketball and college football. But then if you really look at it, Conferences change all the time. Purdue Fort Wayne left the Summit League a few years ago, and, and to the horizon, everybody was fine. IUPUI and Oakland, that once were Summit League teams, are in the horizon now. This is something that just happens from time to time, but is this time any more tumultuous than any other? What are your guys' thoughts? You know, it just it almost kind of feels like we're just getting started, actually. Um, you know, it's it's kind of difficult for basketball because I mean, football really drives this. Football really drives this i mean it's shocking you know when they only have whatever it is six home games six seven home games uh how much revenue that is for their entire entire budget it's well over 50 percent so you know even though these football these basketball programs are fantastic uh they're they don't drive the decision right you know i mean has there been one mention of kansas basketball despite this whole big 12 sec situation not one and that's sort of like a probably a top five program in college basketball. So, you know, to a large extent, it is driven on um, football and it's also driven on viewership. Right. It, that's the reason that Rutgers is in the Big Ten. And so it's not exactly as straightforward as you would think. It's not like you win games. So you go to the next level. There's a lot of components to it. Budget's a big one of those eyeballs on the games is is one of those. And just, uh, you know, what what they see as an up-and-coming market. And so, as far as that relates to the Summit League, it's kind of, you know, honestly, I know a lot of people talk about NDSU football, but it there's not really anything that makes sense that's readily available. Um, You know, it's, you know, so we're we're hearing about uh, Sam Houston, James Madison, a couple of their counterparts jumping while, that I, you know, they're, they're pr- those universities are probably a little bit more attractive than NDSU. I like, I hate to say it because NDSU, you know, is it's it's in North Dakota and there's just limited people here. Um, and so like, th- there's just so much that goes into this. Also, the, the thing to kind of point out, just to give a little context, I know a lot of people talk about, you know, when NDSU plays against the Big 12, they they fare okay. Like, if this was just about football and competing on the field, they may be okay. Um, but you know, like NDSU's budget, Greg, what's NDSU's budget, their, their total budget, it's about 30 million, right? 
Yeah, I don't know if it's 30, but I mean, it's, I'm, I'm sure between, you know, 20 to 25 ish, maybe, you know, yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's, and, and that's, you know, I mean, there, there also has been some football games that haven't been sellouts, you know, things like that coming on the stretch here. Um, and in Kansas State, who, you would probably think is the most comparable member of, of the big 12, their budgets in the neighborhood of 89 to 90 million. Um, and, and they're probably like one of the smaller ones in the big 12. Um, obviously as, as the, the TV rights increase, so can your budget, but it, it's a, it's a really complicated thing. And it's, I guess, long story short is I would expect the Dakota teams to be set uh, for now anyway. Yeah, you, you bring important things up. Football is the, the, the primary driver um, at the highest levels. People don't get concerned about the super conferences because they're always going to get at large bids. Um, I think that's where mid-majors have to make sure that they are going to follow their own blueprint. I don't think you want a, a huge, I mean, from a scheduling standpoint, it's great to have a 16-team league, you know, but at the same time, from a, a, from a bid standpoint, you don't want to limit yourself. And uh, so I think the approach is going to be different. Uh, Zach alluded to it a little bit, but the uh, it's the it's the TV revenue. I mean, the fact that these conferences have been able to what the Big Ten, what the Big Ten pays their schools off of solely the, the, the TV revenue is is it's unimaginable. I mean, it's a ridiculous number. And I think that's also where why you see the, the, the Texas and Oklahoma look at the SEC strictly a football thing but it's uh it's also a profile thing and it's also a financial move for them so you know i i don't know i you know when you look at the summit league i think the most vulnerable member current in the current summit league is western illinois because of their location because of their unknown budget situation because of the fact that they sit in illinois that which is an absolute debacle when it comes to a state budget and, and higher ed budgets you know you never know with western um, uh, Rob Jeter's doing a heck of a job uh, with the basketball side of things, but I think they would be the most vulnerable. And, and if that is the case, the one thing that still sits here is Augustana with their intent, you know, to be a Division One member. They're going to have Division One hockey. Um, those things all impact it. And before we were going on, this will be the last thing, you know, just touch on NDSU football. From my personal standpoint, I think there's only one conference at this point that would be appealing to NDSU, and that would be the Mountain West. I think they, their profile fits what a lot of the Mountain West schools are like. Uh, but then that would have, in order for that to happen, some dominoes would have to fall in the Mountain West as well. Uh, and then the last thing to keep in mind, you go from 63 scholarships to 85 scholarships on the men's side, you, can, you, you can't forget the Title IX impact when it comes to this as well. You know, it's it, it basically whatever they're going to add on the men's side, you better double that because they're going to, probably have to either maybe cut other men's sports or add uh, women's sports. You never know. There's, there's so many moving parts to making that move um, from 63 scholarships to 85 on the football side of things. But they're always intriguing conversations. But I think probably the least impacted leagues of all of these are these basketball-driven mid-major leagues. They're the ones that seem to be most set as of right now, anyway, unless we start seeing them, them get poached more and more. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the 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 progress that the SEC and the Big Ten are making financially 
it's not incremental it's exponential and it it's really i mean what those programs are able to do it's it's so far away from what the rest of college athletics is right it's really not apples to apples at all like i really think probably the most likely thing is the top whatever 40 college programs like they just break off and do their own thing. Like you're not say, you're not n- saying it's a business, are you, Zach? It's 100 percent a business. <laughs> if if and, we say student athletes seven times, then it makes it not a business. So. Yeah, yeah. And so they they just, I mean, I I I think I I just don't see what the like. I hate to say this, but you know the NCAA is not a great fit now that you don't have to worry about amateurism. Oh. Like what like what does the NCAA do here for these top 40 schools? It the it it's sort of broken through the glass ceiling and shot out into the atmosphere for the, those programs, and so I think it's very likely that they do their own thing. I I really I really do think it's it's likely, um, but you know I I think that's a good thing because now like okay so if you're looking at college football not to make it all about college football, the reality of the situation is there's three maybe four programs that can win a national championship in any given year. Like that's the reality of the situation. Um, and and so everyone else is basically just playing for exhibitions and like this is a total hot take here but i'm not 100 percent sure what the heck the fcs is like it's division one but it's not and it's i don't you know i i'm it, it the, the whole thing it, it's like going to get to a tipping point the top teams are going to break off and then we'll kind of like look around and see a lot of programs that are probably more similar and the the the, the level of competition is more level and there are more teams that have a chance to win a national championship and so i i really think the the first thing that needs to happen in the top four 40 teams need to break off um and then unfortunately like we like we talked about with kansas basketball this isn't taken into account basketball um and so it's it's very much along for the ride at this point um and and so we'll see you know um Playing FCS football, it's, you're kind of in a precarious situation. We talked on Twitter a little bit this week about the Pioneer League for St. Thomas and whether that's sustainable or not. You know, I mean, maybe it is for St. Thomas, but, you know, are all those other universities like St. Thomas? Do they have the same resources, the same, you know, commitment to it? I don't know, you know. So this is – and the other thing that happens is, you know, these 80s don't stick around all that often or all that long, I should say. So there, you know, the AD churn is, is very real too. And so you have guys ping ponging around and talking to each other and, you know, there's not a ton of continuity out there. So long story short is, I mean, I really feel like we're just in the beginning stages of this. Yeah. And I, I I do think, you know, the thing that ties into our podcast, you know, the crown jewel of the NCAA is the men's basketball tournament. That is the absolute crown jewel, crown jewel that that drives a vast majority of the revenue. When it comes to football, you talked about it. The top 40 to 64, or whatever. You know, I, I think everybody. That's what people were talking about a few years ago. Four 16 team leagues. Get that group. Have them go do their own thing because the NCAA doesn't even control the bowl system the way it is right now. It, it's controlled strictly by those, you know, those those power institutions. And so. Um, I think that's the direction we're going. Much more of a football issue. Um, we obviously want to protect basketball. We want to protect the sanctity of that tournament as much as we possibly can. And and um, and hopefully, you know, if those 
it, it's a, a football-only issue if those if those big schools go into those super leagues. But if it isn't, then, then and that NCAA basketball tournament gets blown up, then I then I don't know where we're at. To be honest with you, it's going to really throw things into into a, um, a difficult situation to to find out our way out of. To be honest with you. You know, it's one of those things that, like, I do think some churn is good because, you know, universities can just go in different directions, really. I mean, they yeah. can go in different directions, and and that's okay. The the question that I have is, like, okay, let's say none of these schools were in a conference right now, and we were starting from square one. What would we do that made the most sense, right? We probably have North Dakota, South Dakota, and Montana in the same conference. That would probably be the case. You know, and then I, I think you would you would sort of branch out from there. Northern Colorado is obviously right there. I do think geographics. I'm almost wondering if we start to see things swing back towards yeah. things that make sense geographically, especially on the Division two level where budgets have to be taken into a, a, account. You know, it, does it make sense for these teams to be traveling all over the place? Are they better off just finding some like minded institutions and then deciding that, okay, we're going to do this so we all win and not we're all fighting for each other. Because if, if we're all fighting for our own good, we're going to lose because there's way too many competitors at that point. You know, so I really think that we'll, it'll kind of come full circle eventually and that geographics will play into this. But, I mean, to try to predict what's going to happen, I mean, literally, it's, it's, it's a week-to-week thing. I mean, NAD can wake up and decided to take a phone call and the whole fate of an athletic department has changed. So, I mean, good luck trying to predict that stuff. Well, and just to pull it back to, to summit league basketball in general, I, Greg, you had said this earlier, Western, especially with Moorhead state and Belmont, Belmont is going to the Missouri Valley, but Moorhead state's been pretty heavily rumored. If that opens up some stuff in the Ohio mm-hmm. Valley, I could certainly see Western going there. I mean, frankly, it would be a far easier path to them to the tournament. Yeah. Um, if that's even what they look towards, it it'd be it'd be a tough team to lose at this point, especially in basketball, because they are really building. Um, it and then North Dakota State, anything that even has been rumored has been football only. So Zach, to your point, I really think they'll be kind of taken as separate things: football and then everything else. And and. I think for football, even in itself, if let's say the Mountain West was where some that North Dakota State wanted to go, I think that would be a football only type move. If anything, just because we talked about travel and the different things like that, like to save on money. If you jump over in basketball, too, you're probably jumping over on track and cross country and just about everything. And now you're starting to travel all over the country for sports that don't generate revenue. So it. I think they're, they are kind of two separate topics. The one reason I wanted to bring it up here today is every time this stuff happens, some of the na- even some of the national college basketball guys, it's the end of college basketball as we see it. And, you know, then I fire up the Xbox 360 with uh, college hoops, whatever year, 2007, which was the last, and the entire Summit League is different teams, and including Centenary or whatever it was yeah, that yeah, doesn't yeah. even play Division One basketball anymore. Like, this isn't new. It's not moving around isn't something new it's just feels like it's all happening at once here and then with twitter and all of that like everything else it just gets bigger because more people start tweeting about it and then it feels like everybody's about to scramble all over the country i mean i I'd, I'd argue that college basketball has never been better right just because there are more avenues towards accomplishing your goal 
you know, I mean, you have Gonzaga, you have all these programs that are getting it done. It's not just the blue bloods. You can go anywhere. There's never been more exposure. So, you know, if, if you play at North Dakota state, it's not like people aren't going to find you. People are going to find you. So right. y- you, you don't have to go to these certain programs that get all the attention. So I, I, th- I think it's fantastic. Greg, you also made a really good point. I wonder how much this is discussed. The fact that the summit league is only 10 teams and you only have to beat nine of them to go to the, the dance. Whereas some of these conferences are much bigger. And so obviously your odds are much worse. You know, I mean, it's like, it's like there needs I, to be like, there, there needs to be some leadership. And I, and I, Jay Bill is just constantly rails on the same, but he's a hundred percent. Right. Just for somebody to be the voice of reason to be like, Hey guys, just take a step back. <laughs> Let's look at this. Let's look at the big picture here. You know, everybody get into 10 team conferences or whatever, you know, and um, but that that's sort of what leads to all this chaos in college athletics in general is there's no one voice. There's no common place to turn. It's all just back channeling and phone calls and conspiracies, basically. So but. All right. Well, I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about that because I, I just it's been in all over the news and in Twitter. Um, we'll go to the interview with uh, North Dakota head coach Paul Sather had a great interview with Coach Sather. So we'll jump to that next and then just wrap up the last 10, 15 minutes, which is some players that we're excited to to see this season. So on to the interview with Coach Sather. Hi, everyone. Welcome to. The Reaching the Summit podcast, we have a special guest with us today, North Dakota head coach, Paul Sather. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Coach, uh, Zach here. Uh, I guess the first and probably most important question is, I got to know, what's the status of your golf game right now? I got to make sure that we're trending towards (laughs) peaking in the middle of next summer. We have a golf tournament to win. And I just want to first off, before we get into this, I want to make sure that you're dialing in. If I remember right, I, I thought I made a big putt early, early in the round that first time. I think I, I think I made like an eagle putt from a long ways away, and I didn't probably have a shot that helped our team for the next 14 holes. And and I feel like that's pretty much the extent of my game. I don't think it's changed much. I I, I think my my opportunities to help are occasional hitting a long drive in the middle, and every now and then knocking in a putt. Um, and, and so yeah, it hasn't gotten better. Yeah. yeah, it's a team format, and I think all our games are in scramble shape right now. So maybe yeah. not stroke play shape, but they're all in scramble shape. So What I noticed cool. when I play with you and your, your, your fellas out there in, uh, was that if I played your guys' balls, I'm, I'm a lot happier where, you're, where your drives end up. Like, it was a lot, fun, a lot more fun playing 300 yards out in the middle of fairway than it was playing 250 yards way, way right or way left. So, <laughs> I, I did yeah. appreciate that. That helps my game when, when I can play a lot better off the tee with somebody else's uh, drive. Yeah, well, we had a lot of fun racing my yeah. It was a good deal. So. That was fun. But kind of kind of jumping into your squad, um, you know, I guess probably the biggest place to start here or the best place to start would be, you know, we have some roster movement here. And so that's not something that uh, has been atypical coming up to this point. But if you wouldn't mind just sort of introducing us to some of the key players that we're going to all see this year. Yeah, well, you know, and it is tough. I, you know, I think, I think these last few years for everybody's been challenging in, in 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 a roster. And when you're trying to build a roster during these last two years, it's really presented some challenges. I think you see teams that have been able to kind of keep a roster intact, either going in and coming out of it, or 
going into it, uh, it it's beneficial. And we've had some movement. And, and I really feel, and, and we got the chance to work with them this summer and fall. Um, and then now the lat, we're, we're about 20 practices in. Um, I, I really like this group. I, I think sometimes you can kind of go back and say, ooh, man, you know, tough to, tough to gauge on film or, or what kind of human or, or this and that when you're doing it via Zooms and everything else. But, like, I really like it, – it starts with our five returning guys because I think the message and the tone that they're sending to our new guys from the start has been really important. Um, and and I, so, so that's been a good start. But, like, from a transfer standpoint, you know, two guys initially that have – really shown impactful abilities are Matt Norman and, and Sotene Sharditze. Now I'm going to say his last name wrong. So I'm going to call him T. Uh, T came from the college of Southern Idaho and, and Matt Norman came from snow college, two junior colleges, two high level junior colleges. And they, they are more your standard four year type of guys in the sense that they're high level academic students. Um, they've, they fit into a four year situation quicker, faster, like they, they adapt really fast to just the expectations of the day-to-day life at a four-year university in a, in a, in a division one program. And, and they both, you know, Matt Norman, 6'4", 195 pounds that, that can really stretch the floor, uh, a high level shooter, but like really, uh, really can see it and, and feel the, feel the game. Like he can pass the ball extremely well. Sotne uh, is a, is a guy from CSI that I, I think, maybe got under recruited a little bit based on the portal and the attention to the portal and maybe less attention to junior college. He's six, nine, he's two thirty-five. He, he, you know, he's shooting 42% through 20 practices right now from three. So he's shooting it really good. Um, and he's not out there getting a ton of reps, but he's making the ones, you know, he's, he's knocking out one of two, one of three, every other, you know, two, a, two of four, every now and then kind of days in practice. Um, but he's really become a guy that's looked to score in the post better. Uh, you know, in a scrimmage, he was nine of 13 from the field inside, gave us 20 and 10 in about 25 minutes. And, and a couple of those were 15, 18 range shots. He didn't make a three, um, but he, he's given us that presence that we lost with Phillip. Um, and, and, you know, it doesn't have the experience. He, he's older, so he's experienced. He just doesn't have the division one summit league experience. So, that's going to be that's going to be his next hill to climb is is making the transition. He's doing well now. The next transition is really playing Division One, where teams are really preparing for you a certain way, and, and you're handling it and playing through the the ups and downs of it. But super solid human being in both of those guys, and and I've liked what they've done. The other transfer, uh, uh, Johnny Levias, uh, Johnny. He got a knee injury not long after we signed him. So like we haven't had him go live yet, just to be quite honest. Um, and, and we'll not be playing uh, in this early part of the season, but we hope to get him practicing uh, in the next week or two. So like we definitely see him as a guy that maybe can give us some because because he is six, five, six, six. And he and he has the ability to uh, go in, go out. His numbers were good, efficient. Uh, he rebounded it well. He, he was thought of as a good defensive player. But again, you're, you're doing everything based on junior college film, and, and it's really hard to know. But he is a freshman. And what he did, you know, at Central Wyoming under Coach Schmidt, uh, I thought was really good uh, in, in a freshman year setting. Both, both Matt and Sotney are sophomores. Uh, they've got two years of junior college where, where 
Johnny's just got the one. And in the last 14 games, he was right around 21 and nine, 21 and 10 with a 60% field goal uh, in those games. So like he, he, he adapted to that well, but he's got to turn his motor up a little bit more as he's getting healthy and, and understand there's another, there's another thing he's got to adapt to at this level. And, but, but, but has been an awesome kid. Um, our other freshmen, you know, guys like Reed Grant from Johnson high school have done an awesome job. Uh, big guard that that's just doing awesome. Paul Bruns from Dakota Valley down in South Dakota has done an awesome job. Uh, you know, a guy that we probably need to have come in and play right now is Brian Matthews from DePaul prep was a UMass commit. And what, for whatever reasons, those things kind of fell through and we were able to get involved and get him committed six, nine, 240 pounds. And he's, he's a, he's, he's really physical kid. Uh, he's learning how to play every possession the way he needs to play. He's learning how to, but like his rim protection is better than what I ever would have thought right now. Um, and, and like he's, he's, he's finishing in practice against both him and Gavin McGrath or, or another freshman at 6'10", 6'11", is a good defensive player. So he's going against two pretty good bigs every day and he's finishing at a pretty good percentage. So really like what Brian Matthews is doing and, and he's going to get a lot of opportunity and a lot of time uh, you know, as a five for us. So, um, you know, those are some of the freshmen. And then a guy like Gavin McGrath, you know, for sure we'd like to redshirt Gavin. He's, he, he you know, we, we just need to put some weight on him. Really been happy with what Gavin's doing, um, but just got to put some weight on him. Uh, that's going to, that's going to be the, you know, that's going to be the biggest part of it. But, you know, that's kind of a rundown of some of our freshmen and our transfers to go along with our five returners. We, we took a walk on and Jackson Anderson, who's from Hillsborough, uh, that's an awesome kid. He's doing a really good job, but, 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 you know, he's a walk-on player that probably won't obviously see the court, uh, much, but can really be beneficial for us, you know, in our program. But, you know, that's, that's kind of our crew to, to go along with our five returning guys. No, it's really kind of interesting, you know, the <clears throat> that you recruited, um, he does play a lot like Phil Fabraccia. Like that was obviously the first thought that kind of popped in my mind. It's just like, it's unfortunate to be losing him, but to, to have a guy that has that similar skill set and to know that you guys know how to use guys like that, I think really has to be exciting. I mean, to find a guy like that, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And he, and he comes from a really good program in CSI, like Jeff Reiner is awesome. Like he does, a, he does a great job with his program up there in junior college and, and up in twin falls. And, and like, he's just a high level person, uh, coach Reiner it is. And, and, and so when you see his teams and you're around his players, like, I just think he, he really sets tones with his guys as far as what the level ex expectation they have there. So the transition for him uh, is better that way. And, and, and T's a young guy, too, that just he has the, the makeup of it. A lot like Phil, right? Just that he's got a similar makeup. Um, I, I'd say he's a little bit more of a toss back coming in where he wants to kick out and pass a lot. And so we're trying to get him to be a little bit more of a, 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 of a scorer, a guy that looks for his shot more especially inside. And, and I really like the, pro the, the progression he's making. Uh, Coach Horse is doing a good job with him in the post. And I think he's starting to understand from an offensive standpoint, you know, how we want to utilize him. But he's also showing us that he, he, he's not just making one out of three threes. You know, he's making 42% in practice consistently. Uh, and, and today he knocked down a couple, again, where, where he's, you know, setting a screen and popping or if teams are, Guarding a ball screen a certain way, he's short rolling with 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 skill and and, and so like he's a 
he's impressed me not just to be a guy that can make a three. He's impressed me as a guy that could be a possible high level shooter from there. Um, but, but, you know, we, we got to make sure he keeps that inside mentality because he can really put pressure on defenses with what he can do inside as well. Coach, I guess the one thing I was going to ask you quick uh, is as I was waiting for Todd and he was waiting for me and then we both started talking at the same time, that's what we're good at is, is chaos. Um, now the JUCO guys, they still have the COVID year. So even the guys with two years of JUCO still have three to play three. Is that correct? Yes, they do. Yep. Okay. And that's, and that's, I guess kind of leads into what I'm talking about is, um, you know, with the portal, you know, with the, with, with such, you know, certain programs experience just a ton of uh, turnover, things along those lines. And then you're going into your third year in the summit league, correct? Yes. I guess some adjustments, you know, some adjustments from your standpoint, uh, you know, I mean, such a pleasure, you know, watching your teams play. And I remember at Northern state, I mean, you excellent motion team and, you know, typically man defense. And then, so as you gain, you go into your third year in the summit league and you're having to deal, deal with the portal over here. And then also, all right, here's what it's going to take to compete, you know, for the, for a, for a first day by in the summit league tournament, things along things or an extra day of rest in the summit league tournament. What are some things you've learned in, in your first two seasons? And then uh, all, all the, all the while under the dress of COVID, you know, this last season. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, these last two years in the Summit League, I, I think you really understand that over the course of the season, um, especially when you're looking at a preseason, you're having the right mindset, I think, with your team's important about their, this non-conference season is really important to get a feel for your team and to help your, your team continue to grow. Like, we're going to literally play our first home non-conference Division One game this year going into my third year. So we've been absolute road warriors. You know, we, we were, we were yeah. two overtime losses away last year, one at Denver, one at, one at Omaha, where we were two worst games. And we literally were, were two games away from being a 10 and six team in that league. Uh, so like, I feel like we're doing good things. I feel like the style of play and, and how we're kind of bringing our guys along through November, December, into January, February, I think we're doing the right things. Um, having consistency, Greg, is the most important thing. You know, I think anytime, you know, when you ask a coach, what, what's one of the most common things you, you want to look for in your team? Well, be consistent, be consistent. And when you got turnover, it's hard to really be consistent. It's, it's, so like for us, it's, it's once again this year, we're, we're learning how to try to be more consistent day to day. We're trying to learn how to play uh, to each other's strengths and, and how to play. Like, like, honestly, there hasn't been a lot of stuff we put in yet simply because we're still trying to learn how, how this team kind of functions together the way it needs to before we just start inundating them with all these different ideas offensively. We're keeping it rather simple and letting them learn concepts and learn how to play more together and understand more about spacing and offensive concepts. And so, I, you know, I, I think a lot of it is just that. Don't, don't get two up, two down on, on what November, December brings in this league. I, I think, you know, let's, let's, uh, it's a one big league. That's what it's been. Now, maybe that changes and, and it'd be awesome if that changes, but it's a really good league that gets one team in and the team that's playing a lot of times the best in February. Um, not always the team that wins the conference championship regular season right. the team that's playing best in February that can make that run in March. And I think this league has shown that. And, and so, 
like let, let's just keep great perspective let's get better let's not get too up too down let, let, let's let's handle victories with some level head let's handle defeats with with some great perspective and, and let's try to get better and and it's going to be nice to be able to do that from from our own home this year more in in November December than what we had before right. but it, it's still going to have a lot of challenges and a lot of it just comes with the fact that we just have a lot of new guys again not not just young guys we, we uh, we're not young. We, we got some experienced guys. We, we just need to learn how to play together and we need to learn how to play division one basketball uh, more consistently with some guys. But, but uh, I, I'd say that's the biggest thing. Great league, really well coached. And, and if you, and if you go crazy in what your record is in November, December, I think you could lose your team by January. So, you know, let's, let's, let's just keep working to get better. Well, and Greg, it's funny because as we both waited for each other to talk, I was basically <laughs> going to ask the same thing. So uh, <laughs> it, it worked out um, basically to the point of that the, the Juco players, you have three or four years with each of them, um, yeah. which is really nice. And then I will say just as a comment, boy, Matthew sticks out on the roster. Like I had to look down and I go, that's a freshman, big kid, 6'9", 240. Like he, he sticks out. Yeah, yeah, he's physical. He just, you know, he's like a boulder out there you know, rolling down a hill sometimes, like there's just bodies are flying and he's always standing. And a lot of times he has the ball in his hand, like he rebounds. Well, he, you know, he, he, and he's just a fantastic kid, you know, and, and but, but those new guys, we're going to need them. We're going to need them a lot of them in some, but, but, you know, the, the most important thing with, with this whole team are the, are the five guys we have returning in the job they're doing and the mindset that they're having. And, and, you know, we, we are only super, really super senior, you know, every, everybody, with this portal stuff, sometimes you, you get three or four guys returning that maybe would have been done. And we've got Bentu who's d done a fantastic job and, you know, we need him to be a pretty versatile player this year for us and, and, and set a tone energy wise, but, but uh, no, the five returning guys um, are, are the guys that are, are so important to, to this season and continuing to build it uh, each month and, you know, into next season. Of course, we talked about this after games and whatnot, but, you know, maybe talk a little bit more about Ben, too, you know, and what he means to this team and the credibility that he carries and all that he's been through and, and what type of season he has in front of him. Yeah, I, again, he's a part of it. He's a part of it with their other five guys. I think they've all done a fantastic job. You know, he was, he was a guy that we obviously moved off the bench from a backup one to a two that I thought really did a nice job in that time frame. Um, he had opportunities my first year, he had opportunities throughout all, but, but through, you know, through some, some movement and, and moving E to more of a three, uh, we, we injected him at a two and I thought he really helped us. And, and I expect a lot of that again this year as well, but I, I, I love the growth of a guy like Caleb Nero shown, uh, you know, Caleb, who, you, you know, for us, I, I think he's really understanding more of how to be a highly efficient player get the ball where it needs to go, but he's really shooting the ball. Well, I, th I think about a 45% three in practice so far, and he's taken a lot of good shots. Um, he's really starting to understand and kind of see not just going out there to, 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 to play, but really going out there as a player and understanding, you know, Hey, this is how I can make my teammates better. Hey, these are the opportunities that maybe I have to, to look for my shots some, but at the end of the day, let's, let's keep getting the ball in and attacking that hard. And, and, and getting great shots. And, and, and Caleb's really bought into that. And, and, and you know, Mitchell, Mitchell Sucker, who, who I thought as the season went on last year, began to get more and more confident, 
caught up with the speed and settled in, like settled in more. I, I compare him to like a, that golden retriever that's going to do everything you want him to do. And sometimes you're throwing that stick. Sometimes you fake throw it and he goes four steps the wrong way. Right. But the energy, effort, enthusiasm is there every time. And, and, and so I think he's really starting to settle in um, because he is such a high level human, uh, positive, good energy, good talk. And you, you want to see this just happen. And, and I think from a process standpoint, I think he's really starting to see the, the benefits with, hey, slowing down a little bit, having some poise um, and, and rebounding, man, like using two hands with rebounds and stuff like that. But he could stretch the floor. He can attack the basket. He can score inside. He causes mismatch problems. Like I really, I really have liked what Mitchell's been doing this summer, fall and into these 20 practices. So and another guy that I think is elevated from where he was last year. Um, and, and, you know, the, the guy that to me that maybe last year wasn't the same was, was Brady Danielson. And we find out in the spring that Brady had two torn ligaments in his ankle and he just decided to play through, you know, uh, didn't say much about it, but he was hurting and he wasn't moving the same and, and he's had surgery and, and he sense he's, he's moving better than he's ever moved since I've coached him. Uh, he's shooting the ball really well. And not that he's a guy that's going to be looked to as just a, a, a dead three kind of knockdown shooter. But, man, I just love how he's attacking the basket, how he's cutting without the ball. I love what he does defensively. And, the, and, and his ba- basketball IQ out there is huge. So, like, those five guys are, are, are really important guys. I think all five guys have started games for us. And uh, we, we need them all. We need them all. Like Ben too. Yeah. He, he, he did a lot for us last year, but so did Ethan. And, and I, you know, I haven't talked much about Ethan, but Ethan was, you know, close to 11 points a game and, a, and, a, and a, one of our best defensive players last year. And uh, you know, his role's changing, progressing again, where, you know, we're going to, we're going to play him at some two and, and we need him to, to kind of be out there ready to be the guy that, that, that can step up and guard the best every night again. So you know, I, it's a great group. Uh, I, I don't know if we're just sitting there shining with, with all conference guys right now, but I, I think we got guys that can develop into that level of player. And I think as a team, if we really keep the right mindset of as a team, the sum's greater, the sum's greater. And, 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 and really mentally, you know, we, we talk a lot about four to one, you know, mental is the physical is four is the one, you know, that's an old night deal. And, and like, it is so true. And when you got a group that buys into that, that can, that can go on the floor and execute that uh, through the ups and downs. Uh, it's amazing what you can accomplish without having a 25 and 12 type of guy. And, and that's kind of what we got to look to be this year. Cause I, I, I think the sum of our team, we could be really, really effective. Um, but we got to keep, we got to keep that right perspective. Is Sucre going to be a doctor by the time he finishes his eligibility? Man, yeah. What's, what Sucre does day to day outside of practice just blows my mind, right? Like he's working on lab stuff with, you know, you're dealing with a lot of things on, on you know, I know he's worked on a lot of different COVID type things and pretty yeah. high level stuff, you know. He's he, in the past, he's worked with NASA on projects. Yeah. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, I, I want him to know what ball screen defense we're in and second <laughs> uh, cut the right way. And, and, and but like, yeah, high level guy and, and fantastic person. And, and we'll finish with a PhD here. I mean, that's, that's such a, you know, and, and Bentu is going to finish with a master's here. And, and that's awesome. You no, know, like great stuff. graduated and working on a, a, you know, another, another major. And, and, and so like, 
I've been really impressed, not just with these guys as basketball players, but like these, the five guys that have returned, I think have set a good tone as far as what the expectations are. And they, they do it in the classroom too. And that's, that's big. That's, that's, uh, that makes this job a lot more fun to do. Cause that's at the end of the day, that's why, that's why I've always enjoyed coaching. Uh, it, it, it's always about that watching young people really kind of find their niche in life and grow to be men and, and be leaders in whatever it is they're doing with their family or their, or their profession. And I think we got some guys that will really leave here as good leaders um, because of this university and the different programs and people they have here. It's just a fantastic spot that way. And just to echo that, you, you recruit the type of guys that allow you to focus your time on coaching. You're not worried about, yeah. you know, the, well, what those guys are doing. And that, that makes life a lot easier. So good for you. It does. It does. And I, you know, I think any good program in our league, you see a lot of that. You know, I, I, I'm always, it's, it's fun to see the high level kids in our conference. You know, I, I, people ask me about Oral Roberts and playing against them. And I said, all I know is what I, what I heard Max Aceman say to his team on the floor. And, and like that, that dude's a high level, he's a high level human being. He's just not a high level player. So, and, and you can go down the list, you, you, you know, every, every team in our league, uh, I think has, has a lot to be proud of with the kind of people they're putting on the floor. And it uh, makes it fun to be a part of a league that's like that. There's, there's no question. Yeah. Coach, it's always kind of fun to see a team sort of become a reflection of its head coach. And that happens over a, a, the course of a couple of years. Um, and, you know, you, you start to see that start to happening with your team and the type of players that you're bringing in both on the court, off the court, that sort of thing. Um, but maybe if, and you kind of mentioned this before, but you know, this, aren't, this team is starting to understand what it means to become a good division one team. Now, obviously you've had the chance to coach both good division two and good division one teams. Uh, maybe talk about, you know, is there much of a difference there? Is there not like maybe kind of compare and contrast the two situations a little bit. I, I don't think from a mindset standpoint uh, of having success at division two or division three or division one or any, whatever it is, I, I don't think there's a lot of differences. I think it's, it's the expectation day to day, you know, that you expect from yourself as a coach, from what, what you expect from your players. And at the end, you want your players to kind of hold that same expectation that, Hey, this is who we are and this is what we accept. And, and I don't mean winning and losing. I, I just mean, you know, what, what we expect and what we accept every day. And, and so, yeah, I don't think divisions have a lot to do with that. I, I, I think, I think I see that in programs now, though, there's always the, the program that just literally has great talent that that has good human beings that do a nice job that maybe there's there's an exception here and there. But I do think you see it at every level, the teams that really do well, uh, that have really good success are, are teams that from a from an individual standpoint, they really kind of buy into trying to be their best and help their team any way they can and and, and feel fulfilling their role, doing their job. Um, and, and when you get when you get your, your team to do that kind of stuff. I don't care what level you're at. I, if you get your, your people management and underneath you and your business to do that kind of stuff, uh, I just think it, success follows that, but you got, you, you know, you got to have guys that can make the plays out there too. And that's what we're, we're working on that. I, I, I like this group a lot. Uh, and, and I think, you know, you know, I've been watching a little bit of Ted Lasso here uh, in these last few days and, and uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great knowledge to get from old Ted. Um, now, you know, you, the success part of it, you want to, you, you, you want to see some wins and you want to, you want to really see some of that for these guys to, 
and has some 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 of that success. But man, we've got to learn how to win, and we got to learn how to fight through adversity before you ever really deserve to win. And and, and sometimes it's easier for others, and sometimes the, the talent allows you to get through it a little bit quicker and better. But you're gonna go through adversity at some point. You're gonna and. and you got to have a group that buys into, hey, like, this is what we can do better. This is what I can do better. And, and acknowledge that, accept that, see it, and, and not look for excuses and not look for reasons and not look for things to blame, but really try to, hey, this is what I can be doing better here. I can be doing, I can be doing more here to help. And, and you know, that's what we're working on. Uh, they're doing an awesome job, but, like, we still got a, a group of guys that, and me included, that we all can be doing things better. Uh, to, to raise the level of this team and this program. And, and it starts with me, but like we all as staff and all as players have, have an individual responsibility to that. And I think when you have that, I don't care what level you have, you, you got a pretty good team. And I do think, Paul, you, you make such a good point. Um, and, and people would be amazed at, at the amount of time that as a, as a head coach, the amount of time that you spend on things that aren't X and O related to basketball. And it goes back to what you talked about with Coach Knight, you know, mentalist to force, physicalist to one. Yeah, you got to have guys that can make plays with, with the game on the line and, and, and perform some physical actions, but getting, getting them to, the, to be in that position where they can win or lose a game or, win, or make a winning play, people just sometimes don't understand that it's not all about, hey, that you don't spend much time in your office drawn up a play it's so much about building that team and preparing them to succeed so i appreciate your comments on that i think it really resonates with with our listenership too because we, you talked about the, the the coaching and the talent and the consistency in this league you run into that and then i think it becomes apparent when you look at the teams that are that are, are strong and sound consistently year in and year out you do see that makeup you do see that consistency echoing what you talked about earlier so uh, th thanks for kind of, uh, you know, I don't reinforcing that with it, with our listeners. It, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. One, one quick question, coach. Uh, I wanted to go back to something you said earlier that, and going back to the schedule and talking about that, this is the first time in, in your time there that you're really having true home games. There, there's some great games at home this year for you guys. You have Milwaukee coming in, in the opener, Montana, another high level mid-major team, Eastern Washington later in the year, really a pretty strong home schedule for you guys this year. Yeah. And, you know, I got to give kudos to Jamie Stevens for that. Jamie's just did an awesome job last year, developing our, our 2021 non-conference schedule. He did an awesome job with that. It's just unfortunate in October, it all got blown up. I mean, so, so then we, in a two week period of time, you're literally rescheduling everything and we weren't able to have a home game. Um, just with the consequences or just the circumstances, I should say, of COVID. And, and, you know, we weren't the only ones that had that. But but it just so happened to be our second year without a home non game. So, yeah, I, I love our schedule. And Coach Stevens did an awesome job of that. Uh, I also like like our road game are good. Like we're going to Florida. I mean, if you're going to go to Florida, why not go for over a week? Right. Why not get four games in there with one flight? Right. I mean, and, and it made a lot of sense to do that. And, and you know, so I think we're seeing. You know, some of these teams like a Florida International is more of a guaranteed game this this year for us than, than playing in Nebraska. We got a Kansas State, but we I'd say, you know, the Cal Baptist on the road uh, was a guaranteed game. The San Jose State to go out and see our friend Coach Miles and, and, and that that that, you know, outfit out there uh, was a guaranteed game. So 
like like the money necessarily wasn't there just to go out and make uh, on guarantee games this year, which a lot of us have to do that for our, for our departments. Um, but we were still able to go do it and, and keep a really good schedule. And I, I give Coach Stevens this, all the credit in the world of that because he did an awesome job. And it, and it leads to another good non-conference schedule for us next year. And, and, and so like these next two years, we've got, you know, we're going to have, you know, with our nine league games and the, and the six this year, it's 15 home games. Next year, we're hoping to keep it around 14, maybe 13, but 14 home games uh and and with some neutral games so scheduling is a challenge and, and and you know i think anyone will tell you when you're when you're in grand forks in fargo you know I, or or just off the beaten path right it's it's hard to just get teams up here so it's definitely a challenging thing and coach stevens did just an awesome job with it miles didn't try to go cheap on you did he I mean, I, I would expect that he would, but I mean, it's crazy. He did when he was at Nebraska, right? That's what he would. Of course, do. yeah. When he was at San Jose State, he was battling for us. He was battling <laughs> for us to get a few extra grand and, and to help us out. So, no, he did. He, he was awesome. Like I appreciate him, <laughs> our relationship, and, and and he's been such an awesome mentor for me and, and, a, and a good friend. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm excited to get out and see him and, and play against his team, and excited to see what he'll do out there at San Jose State. Speaking of Ted Lasso, they can catch up with uh, Miles on the, tw- the Twitter world doing the Lasso takeoff. I love, I love the last one where he didn't quite remember his lines so well. He kind of <laughs> had some great pause. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Good stuff. He, he, he doesn't surprise me that he's kind of no. owning Twitter again. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we're at the 30-minute mark. Any last questions that you guys want to get off your chest? I'm just going to say thanks, Coach. Yeah, wish you the absolute best. Yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're excited. We're excited about getting this thing going. And, uh, you know, with with Mayville coming up on Monday, um, it's just another another good challenge here to get these guys in a uniform under the lights to play with each other. You know, there's some roadblocks you got to overcome. It's that first scrimmage where – guys are out there exhausted because they're just the anxiety's high now it's the second one it's 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 turning lights on and actually playing a game in front of some people and and going through things that you haven't really maybe gone through in practice yet um so i'm excited about that opportunity with this group and and then we and then we move on to uh milwaukee who from what i understand they got a pretty good player this offseason in in, in the coach's son there who is fantastic and i think they're going to be very good i think they'd be really good if they didn't have him so i think the addition of that young guy who's highly skilled, highly talented. He's not just a good athlete out there. He's a terrific basketball player. Um, and and uh, we're going to have our hands full. So awesome. Awesome to bring him up to Grand Forks. And maybe we'll get a good 20 win. you know, although it's cold in Milwaukee too, but, you know, we needed a good little 20 below windshield that day with some, with some blowing snow. That'll, that'll wake everybody up. Yeah. Leave the doors open. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Appreciate it guys. All right. Take care coach. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye. All right. Well, great interview as, as it has been with every coach that we've interviewed. Um, any thoughts from the two of you from that interview? My biggest thing that I took away was he kept going back to those five returning players with Ben Tupanoam, Ethan and Bonigo, um, Caleb Nero and, and, and others that, that really are trying to provide that leadership on a team that has kind of had a little bit of influx in the roster the last couple of years. Well, I just, I, I really feel bad for Coach Saylor. I mean, he, 
you know, and, and he'll never say any of this, so I'll, I'll say it for him. You know, the, the situation he came into was, um, it, in terms of roster, it was much worse than anybody really, than he, than he or anybody really knew, really. Um, it, you know, w- with, with Coach Jones leaving, I mean, coaches, whether he left on his own or not, you know, they don't just leave Division One jobs. You know what I mean? Like, Coach Jones could see what was going on there, too. And the recruiting had slipped and they probably weren't recruiting the right type of players. And so coach Sather comes into a, a job where there are, there are some talented kids, but they're probably not the right kids. And he's left to try to do a, a dance with the devil a little bit to try to get through a couple of years. So he can start to bring in his own players and the right players and start, and start to form the team in his image. And then COVID hits, Right. He has not had a somewhat normal year or somewhat normal recruiting cycle yet. And you could tell that his teams punch above their weight, but he has had just the absolute worst luck that you could possibly imagine. And yet his team still got to eight and eight last year. It was a miracle. Like that was a a miracle. Like, again, he'll never admit that stuff, but um, you know, I, I think a lot of some of the issues on the roster have worked themselves out to this point. Um, now it's just sort of the rebuilding and putting things back together. And, um, and he was, he's able to bring in some good players. Like the big fellow that they got, they got come in. If you watch tape on him, he looks a lot like Phil Perbracha. You know, he knows what he's looking for. Um, but it's again, you know, it's the first year that this group is together yet again. He's having to do this again. And um, I think he's going to, he's going to get the most out of this group. But I feel like now they've kind of like sort of hit the bottom with that roster and have bounced back up. You know, there's some guys on the on the roster that are definitely more his type of players, um, team players, good listeners, all that good stuff. And so, you know, I'd like to kind of go into a little bit more detail, but I won't. I'll just say that um, there was there was a lot going on there and a, a lot that he had to put up and manage that the average coach in a new position did not. Um, and he's done it absolutely masterfully. And I really feel like, you know, this team may take some lumps this year, but they're going to start to hit their stride next year and the year after when some of these guys that have been in the conference that have ruled the conference for so long have moved on. Yeah. They, and, and, you know, Zach, to echo some of the things you talked about, and, and Paul said in his interview, it, it is going to be a team where the, where the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I do think that's how they are. And, and Todd, to your point, I do believe he's really going to lean on, on those five returners. And you look at the Danielsons, you look at, you know, Bantu Pinoam and, and uh, Mitchell Suker, uh, people that, that, that know exactly what coach Sather wants and expects, they're always going to guard you. They're always going to play their tails off. And I do think he's going to continue to implement uh, an effective motion concept. Granted, he'll run maybe some more pattern stuff at times, but, I think one of the things that, that Paul does as well as any coach in the league is teaches his kids how to play. And what you want with those kids is, is, is you want to teach them to the point where when the game's on the line, they're not looking to the sideline. They're looking to each other. Yeah. It's kind of like, we know what we're supposed to be doing now. Let's go get this done. And uh, to Zach's point about finishing eight and eight, just a few crazy games away from being 10 and six in, in the league last year. I, I think he's, he's he's getting it in still. He's getting his 
his philosophy implemented. And in the crazy world of college athletics with the transfer portal now, when no one has to sit out, things along those lines, it really comes down to, are you building, are you building a system that kids want to stay with? Even if they're not playing as much as they'd hoped in this first year, are you building a system and a family and a, and a program that, that people want to stay attached to? Um, so that, that's what's going to be interesting to see. I think Coach Sather, we've talked about this so many times, that the, the class uh, coaches, high-class coaches in this Summit League, you can understand why, why guys want to stay around and play for these people, and, and I think Paul Sather is certainly one of those guys. It's interesting that the three Juco guys, you forget with this extra year, he brought in the three Juco guys all with at least three years of uh, eligibility left starting this season. Um, and he's excited about th- all three of those. Um, uh, Sotne, um, he said T is what they call him because the last yeah. name is harder to pronounce. So I won't try yet. Uh, I'll let somebody <laughs> on TV do that first and then I'll I'll pretend I always knew. But uh, yeah, it, and so trying to bring in some guys that Caleb Nero is still only a sophomore, I think, by – by uh, by the standards with the extra year and all of that. So he's, he's got some guys that are going to be around for a while um, and then can bring in some players in, in future years too, to continue building on that. So at least it's a start. We didn't get into it in the interview, but I, one of the more fascinating things is just Philip Rubracha with the fact that frankly, because his business my masters in business uh, at North Dakota is online, he had to transfer. And so one of those, because of visa because of his visa so now they're they're moving on from one of their better players but yet found a couple that might be able to fill the spots there too so yeah i mean philip really didn't want to leave you know like that like that was the that was the messed up thing you know it's like that grad transfer rule i mean it's it's abused 99.9 percent of the time no um no You know, it, it's one of those deals where it's like, but he actually wanted to stay. Like that was the ironic thing, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it, but but it, it's only a matter of time. Like you look at Coach Sather's track record. This is what he does. Like every time he's taken over a program, he's never taken one over at the height. You know, he kind of takes them over when they're pretty good programs, but they've been kind of meddling around a little bit and they have some things to sort through and then they kind of get the right combination. And then the next thing they know, they're winning the conference. That's what he did at Black Hills. That's what he did at Northern. So, I mean, none of this has really surprised me, but I just think it needed to be said, like mm-hmm. how much he has had to sort through. And it's been way more than the average coach. Right. Yeah. Since you brought up that the the grad transfer rule is uh, abused, Zach, I have to say, student athletes one more time just to get us back <laughs> on track. Um, I don't know what that is. You're going to have to clarify it for me, Todd. I have no, I have no idea. That's just propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've got about five minutes left. So I just want maybe one player or a couple of players that you guys are excited to watch this season. And it could be someone that the, I mean, there's obvious players like Max Aismas, Rocky Cruiser, all of that, or it could be somebody under the radar that we maybe don't know to talk about yet or, but uh, we'll be halfway through the season. I'll, I'll jump in quick and, and I'll, I'm going to take the obvious one. Uh, Noah Friedel. Yeah. I, I want that kid to be great. I want that kid to be healthy. I want that kid to enjoy and embrace playing the game. I want him to be seen by his teammates as, as, as a guy that they all love playing with. And I want to see growth from him in all the right areas. And, and, and that's scary for the rest of the league. If, if we do see that, 
because he's he's clearly uh, one of the one of the most talented high-level competitors this league has seen in a while. And so I'm looking forward to that. The, and the second one, I, I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't know, but Andrew Coleman intrigues me. The transfer from Northern State to North Dakota State. I think if there was an area that North Dakota State was a little below what they historically are, it was a three-point shooting. And I think Coleman can shoot the ball well, but I think he's also an extremely complete player. Uh, who's he decided to come to North Dakota State for his last year. I think he's going to be a nice addition. I think he's going to fight. I, I won't be shocked to see him fight his way into that rotation with a ton of experience coming back for North Dakota State. I think he can be a positive addition. And, and my guess is both of those predictions will be proven terribly wrong by the end of the season. But I just figured I'd throw those two out there. No, I, I, I agree with Coleman. I, like, I think he's going to be hard to keep off the floor. Um, I wonder, you know, when we get a chance to interview Richmond, if, if he's more interested in playing a deeper bench this year, or if he feels like he can, and that's how a, much he—that's a great point, Zach. I mean, Dave it, has historically gone to eight or seven. Right. And you you watch them play right now, and you're going, "This is going to be interesting." But I think Dave continues to grow, continues to adapt. And yeah. I'm sorry for interrupting, but that's a great point. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I mean, it just because you know, hey, is. You know, because generally you, you play, what, seven or eight because they're your best seven or eight, and it's hard to take your best players off the floor when they're well-conditioned and you have media timeouts and all that stuff. And so, like, I get it. Um, but I just wonder if there's, like, maybe something to that, what his thoughts are. You know, I, I suppose it just depends on if he has nine guys he can truly count on. And, you know, and Andrew Coleman would be a guy that you could throw out there and it's not like you're going to be concerned about him. So, I don't know. Uh, that's going to be – it's definitely a good call, something interesting to watch. Um, I'll go a little, uh, I'll stay on the UND theme here and just, and just go with Paul Bruns, uh, just because he's, so he's a freshman. They brought in, uh, four freshmen this year, all really good players. I mean, these are Paul Saylor type players. Um, but you know, they're freshmen, uh, Paul Bruns, he's probably the furthest one along and he's your typical baseball, football, basketball, all state and all of them, you know, just a, just a elite competitor, uh, but also a very good basketball player and just sort of the way the roster looks like um, he's going to, he's going to play. And so, you know, how fast can they get these guys up to speed? You know, if they get them up to speed and by the end of the year, he's looking like a guy that they can count on, then you potentially have three more years uh, in front of him with that type of production. And so I, he's definitely a guy that I'm looking forward to, to watching and, and just really that entire freshman class at UND. I really think it could be, the type of class that they need to sort of get things going there and, and create that continuity that coach Taylor's known for. I mean, that's, that's what all these players, that's what Andrew Coleman came from at Northern state. So, you know, Taylor knows what those types of players look like when they're in high school. And I think he's found them. So it'll be fun to watch them develop. It will Zach. And you bring up such a good point. I think Paul brings that division two mentality in division one. And, and I just say that from my experience, we love multi-sport athletes. Because we just thought when we get them to commit to one, their seal, their upside is so much better. You see so many kids in this day and age that totally commit to one sport, for goodness sakes, by the time they're an eighth or ninth grader, you know. And and so then you're going, well, how much better can they get when you got these kids like Brun, multi-sport athlete, extremely talented. All right, when he gets to college, he's ours, you know, 24/7, yeah. 365 days a year. This is going to be great to watch his his level of play elevate. And I think that. You know, Brady Danielson on UND is another guy like that mm -hmm. who was 
you know, and, and uh, Baylor Shireman, for gosh sakes, you know, I, yep. and he does that down there. He's a all state quarterback. Well, I don't know if he's all state, but he's a high school quarterback too, but you just see him. He's focused on, on basketball and my gosh, he's been mentioned in some, some, some draft, you know, right. projections. Yeah. So uh, no, that, that, that's really a good point about the multi-sport athletes. Yeah. I mean the, the best college basketball players, like you have to be elite competitor. You have to be an elite competitor it has to that just has to be how you're wired and how you get wired like that usually is by playing sports and just competing in everything you do you know you don't get more competitive by just doing shooting drills and and goofy dribbling drills all off season in high school you do that by playing sports that even if you're maybe not the best at but you're, you're competing to try to win and that's what carries teams through it's not necessarily skill you know, that that's what make that's what separates, you know, decent basketball players from from really good ones. You know, you look at the all conference team, they're all alpha competitors on there. Right. And so uh, those multi-sport athletes, you know, Coach Taylor likes them. He's got a couple of them. And um, let's see what they do. Yeah, great picks by both of you. I, I'm going to go a little deep down. the. Well, I'll start with Western Illinois. Last year, they could score the ball. They really couldn't defend, sort of like Oral Roberts. Always the hit was being able to defend. They bring in three transfers from the Division One level that are all known on the defensive end. Quinlan Bennett from Lamar, Trent Massner from Northwestern State, and then George Dixon from Eastern Illinois. Uh, looked like they focused on getting some guys that could defend, especially in, in, in the backcourt. So it'll be interesting to watch those three players, how they all fit in with the, already a roster that didn't lose a ton. Um Western Illinois, there'll be a lot of places put them about fifth in the league. If if some of those players work out, we could see fourth um, may, and some upsetting some people along the way. Omaha brings – I'm always fascinated by those power five uh, transfers. Some of them come in and just dominate at the Summit League type level, and some of them just never quite were what they thought they were coming out of high school. So you've got uh, – Isaiah Porbear Chandler coming from Wichita State. And then you've got uh, Akola Rapp, who came from Nebraska, two pretty good athletes. And then a freshman that they're high on, Frankie Fiddler. So I'm just interested in those two teams and bringing in some guys that are, uh, you know, what, what happens with these teams as they bring in some of these transfers. And the last one I'll mention is is uh, Isaac McBride, a former four-star high-level recruit who's uh, signed with Kansas coming out of high school, um, went to Vanderbilt, and now is at Oral Roberts, joins Max Hasemus in the backcourt. Um, just a few players to mention that that could, we might be talking about later in the year that we don't know the names real well yet. But um, Yeah, and that's a good point. And I'll just, the last thing I'll throw in is when you talk about ORU, when, when O'Banner, a guy like O'Banner leaves, when we talked about this in the Coach Mills interview, there's a lot of guys that played a lot of minutes, the Weavers, the Lotzes, the, you know, the other people. I, I'm just curious to see their growth and their increased production because, hey, there's a reason ORU's a, a, a top three team in the league again, and I think it's going to be really interesting to watch the growth of those guys that maybe people, you know, would, would consider they were role players last year. How do they grow into more of a productive role? It's going to be a lot of fun to watch that happen. Right. Yeah, maybe another guy along those lines is that Sir Isaac Aaron. I mean, Coach Mills said that he's basically probably second to none in terms of an athlete in the conference, and he's 6'10". So. Yeah. He's going to stick out. He's going to do something when he's out there. I don't know if it's good or bad, but he's going to yeah. be flying around, it sounds like. So 
it uh, he'll be a fun one to watch as well. All right. Well, we just want to give you a few players uh, to watch for. Next week will be basically the two days before the season starts. So we'll probably, if not preview some matches, talk talk about some matchups that we're excited about with the with the start of the non-conference schedule. And and then after next week, we'll actually have some games to talk about and some things that we've seen and probably 10 players that we didn't mention in this little 10-minute segment that um, we are all of a sudden talking about because they came kind of out of nowhere. Um, so with that, we will see everybody next week. And again, thanks guys. Have a good one. All right. Take care.